is called Love Note. And it says, God loves you and will always. This one, they decided not to write who they were going to write it to. So, dear, I hope you will be able to get out more often. <laughs> it's mainly for the shut-ins, I think. And then this one also has flowers and hearts, and it says, God loves you no matter what. Follow him and love him, and you will go to heaven. And then, and then this one is really fun. To a nice person. Dear person, <laughs> God love you, and he will love you no matter what. Someone will always love you. We love you. You are the best, even we don't know you. <laughs> I hope you enjoy your Christmas. Your Christmas will be the best. So, dear person, that was just too good not to share. Okay, so we're looking at Psalm 70 and 71. This is when King David cries out to God for help and deliverance. And we're going to get into that after this song. We're going to be led into singing with Hezekiah Walker. This was a flash mob that he led in Birmingham nine years ago. And you might have seen it or heard it at the time. I don't think the song will be too, too unfamiliar to you. We're going to play it and sing along if you can. Hallelujah to our God. 
Hallelujah. We were watching that last night. Reuben just said, we are too white. (laughs) You know, we should all do a flash dance like that somewhere. Wouldn't that be fun? Senior adults of Highland doing a flash dance. Okay. So, we are in Psalm 70 and 71. Angela, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Angela Rankin in the back. Psalm 70 and 71. They were originally written together by King David. He wrote them when he was 65. He was fleeing from his son Absalom. Absalom had led a conspiracy against his father and usurped his throne. So if you want to hold your place there at Psalm 70 and go to 2 Samuel, we will read a little bit about that. 2 Samuel 15. This helps us get the backstory. 15. 2 Samuel 15. We're going to read verses 10 through 17. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the shofar, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahitophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, namely from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Okay, so you know Absalom was his good-looking son. Absalom had been pulling the hearts of the people after himself. And now he has started the conspiracy to take the throne. So if you'll now go back to Psalm 70, we'll start there. Psalm 70, verses 1 through 3, David says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Now this is because he's praying against Absalom taking his throne, taking his place. He says in verse 2, Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. So with the phrase turned back, David was saying, praying that Absalom and his followers would be turned back from chasing him. The term aha is a mockery term. So they were mocking him. They were chasing him. Their goal was to kill him. Verse 4, David says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. So in the midst of running for his life, he's lost the throne, he's lost his rulership as king, and he's running 
says he's barefoot and has ashes on his head. You'll see that if you read the whole story. And yet even in this place, his heart and his focus always went toward the Lord. He knew God was always worthy of being magnified no matter what he was going through. Here he's running for his life and he says, let God be magnified. Verse 5, he says, but I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. He obviously knows there's no one else who can save him from this situation. Lord, only you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. And then he carries on. And you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. David was chased from his palace and his throne. He was despised by his son and those with him. And so he pleaded with God for help and deliverance. And in verse 2, he says, deliver me in your righteousness. He invoked God's righteousness for his escape. He knew that his own righteousness was lacking. He didn't have enough righteousness to call on his own. He recognized that these terrible circumstances resulted from his sin with Bathsheba. We're going to see that in a second. So verse 3, he says, Be my strong habitation to which I may resort continually. You've given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. A habitation is not a place you visit. It's a place you live. So he's saying, Lord, I want to live with you. I've got to abide in you. You're my fortress. You're my shelter. Be my strong habitation. I resort to you continually. So now let's... Flip back to 2 Samuel 12. This is a year after David had sinned with Bathsheba. He kind of got away with it for about a year, although he had already seen some punishment of it. 2 Samuel 12. We're going to read 9 through 12. And you remember the story. Nathan, the prophet, had gone to David and he was confronting him about his sin. He told him a story first. He got David's reaction to that and then he said in verse 9, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, that was Bathsheba, and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And that was fulfilled when Absalom rose up against him. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, referring to Absalom again, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So, you know, David, remember that. That's how he knew that it was his sin that had brought this on him. Let's go back to Psalm 71, verse 4. He says, Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. He's referring to Absalom. Absalom had threatened David's life, 
And then he was publicly intimate with David's ten concubines that were also called wives in that day, just as Nathan had prophesied. And if you want to see that, it is in 2 Samuel 16, 22. It says now, you know, so David is run from the city. People are with him, but Absalom is in the city. He's taken the throne. In verse 22, it says, They pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel, just like Nathan prophesied. You did it in secret. He's going to sleep with ten of your wives in front of all Israel, in front of the sun. Kind of puts the fear of God in you, doesn't it? Okay, so now let's go on. Psalm 71, 5 and 6. He says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from my birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. He starts out saying, You are my hope. That's the Hebrew word tikvah. And it means expectation. I yearn for you. I wait for you. I expect you. So he's saying, Lord, all my expectations in you. All my hope is in you. All my trust is in you. I'm not putting it anywhere else. He trusted in God who had sustained him from the womb. And then verse 7, he says, I've become as a wonder to many. This word wonder means an example. I have become as an example to many because his life was an example of someone who had virtually lost everything because of his serious sin. And then he says, but you are my strong refuge. Man, thank God for his redeeming grace. He said, um, he still declared God to be his refuge, his protection and hope. David chose to praise God and glorify him continually. You see that verse eight, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Verse 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. In that day, old age began at age 60. So most of us in here would be in old age. David was considered an old man at age 65. And so his words are a good prayer for us now. We need to know that God will not abandon us when we are old and weak. He has sustained us from the womb. He will continue to carry us and sustain us until we take our last breath. I love this verse in Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. It's the same, same thought. He says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld sustained by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. That's why it's important not to color your hair, because to gray hairs, he'll color you. He'll, he'll carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry, and will deliver you. This verse is actually uh, special to me also because in our last, we spent four years in South Africa before we returned to Jerusalem in 2008. So we were in South Africa from 2004 to 2008. And we had a young Timothy, a young disciple who worked with us. 
she traveled with us, preached with us in the, the nations around South Africa and within South Africa. Very prophetic young lady. And to me, it, it fulfilled a desire I'd always had because I'd always wanted a little girl who would follow me around the house and prophesy to me. That was why I wanted a child, so I'd have a little prophet. Well, I had one in this 24-year-old that attached herself to us and did ministry with us for three years. And at that stage, I was having severe headaches, migraines most days. I never had a day off during those four years, solid, intense headaches. And she was praying for me one day, and the Lord spoke to her very clearly, and he gave her a picture. And he, because she was crying out to God for, for the Lord to heal me, he took her by the neck, gently. He took her, and he pulled her close to him. And he said to her, even to, she called me Yanit, my Hebrew name, even to Yanit's old age, I will carry her. And even to gray hairs, I will carry her. I have made her and I will bear her. Even I will carry and will deliver her. And it released the intense burden she had been carrying for me. She knew I was in the hands of the Lord and she could rest in that. So I've always just really loved that verse, but it also ties in with where we are. Okay, verse uh, 10 and 11. For my enemies speak against me. Again, he's talking about Absalom and the guys that had aligned themselves with Absalom. Those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there's none to deliver him. We're going to jump over to verse 14. He says, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. The word there is implied. It just, it really says, I do not know limits. And what, it, what he was saying is, Lord, I will hope in you. I will sing your praises all the time. I'll speak of your righteousness all day long because your wonders are infinite and impossible to count. That's that phrase, I do not know limits. There's no limit to your wonders. There's no limit to your praises. It's impossible to count your miracles and your wonders. No limit to your righteousness and your salvation. Now I want to go back to verses 12 through 16. Now I want to pray this over the persecuted church. As you know, we're still praying for the persecuted church. As I said in my letter to you, one person this week said, we're going to have two Sundays of praying for the persecuted church last Sunday and this Sunday. But someone else said they've given the entire month to pray for the persecuted church. There is so much going on. Most of our brothers and sisters are being severely persecuted in the nations. And so I just want to pray this passage over them. Start in verse 12. Lord, we lift to you the persecuted church today. And God, we pray that you would not be far from them, that they would feel your presence today. Lord, make haste to help them. Let those who persecute them and torture them, let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of their lives. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek their hurt. Lord, I pray that today they will hope continually, their hope will be steadfast in you. They will praise you even more and more. 
Their mouths will tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. I pray even today, this week, they'll have opportunities to tell of your righteousness and your salvation, especially to those who have captured them and are tormenting them. Lord, I pray they'll go in your strength, Lord God, and they will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now let's look at verses 16 through 18. David says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O Lord, you've taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. David had had an intimate relationship with God since he was young. Remember, he was a shepherd, he was in the fields, and he would write love songs to the Lord. Many of them became our songs later on. He had a lot of intimacy time, a lot of solitude with the Lord. There's indication to believe that his parents had pretty well rejected him and just sent him out into the sheepfolds, and he found his security with the Lord. So he was still declaring God's works as an older man here. He says, you've taught me from my youth, in verse 17, even to today I declare your works, and even when I'm old and gray-headed, I'm going to continue to declare your strength. In essence, he was saying his life wasn't over. He still had more to do. The second part shows that he understood the role of older people teaching younger people the ways and the works of the Lord. He wasn't so concerned that the end of his life would be comfortable. He was concerned that the end of his life would be significant, that he could continue to tell of God's strength and power to following generations. And this is a calling that we all have, to live the rest of our lives in significance of passing on to younger generations our understanding, our walk with the Lord, his power and his greatness. One commentator suggested verses 17 and 18 to say this, when I was young and powerful, I could stand on my own two feet. Yet you came to my assistance and performed wonders to save me. Now that I am feeble and compelled to sit, please do not forsake me. Verse 19, he says, also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. Your righteousness is very high. Literally, in Hebrew, that means to the height of heaven. Your righteousness is to the height of heaven. It's not just very high, like high as the ceiling. It's to the height of heaven. O God, who is like you? You can hear the wonder and the awe in his voice. He doesn't just have an intimate relationship with the Lord. He walks in the fear of the Lord. He, he is awed at the majesty of God. Verse 20 and 21, he says, You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. So when he said, you've shown me great and severe troubles, David could have been and probably was referring to the death that plagued his household. Remember the first son he had by Bathsheba died in infancy. Later on, his son Amnon killed 
Uh, Amnon was killed by Absalom, another son, and then Absalom, of course, betrayed him and eventually was killed himself. David had seen great and severe troubles, just as Nathan had prophesied. He said, adversity will not pass from your house. But David also had faith that God was going to revive him again. He knew the character of God. He knew the testimonies of God. So he goes on to say, you shall revive me again. He was firm in his faith. He felt like he was in the depths of the earth, but he knew that God would bring him up again. His trust in God's mercy and help was unwavering. He says, you shall increase my greatness. Hebrew scholars say that David was asking for God to increase his greatness to a level that would surpass the glory that he had before he had run for his life. And after he recovered the throne, David did have greater power and greater recognition than before. So that prophecy came about right away. He did increase his greatness. And then his words, you will comfort me on every side, show David's assurance that God would comfort and console him after Absalom's downfall. You will restore me to greatness, you will comfort me on every side. If Absalom had not been killed in the chase, he would probably have been executed later for treason. And then good old David, after he's gone through all this, he goes right back to praise like he always does. Verse 22, he says, With the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. He's reflecting on God's covenant with Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. So he praises God's faithfulness. He acknowledges God's faithfulness to his covenant with Israel. In the last part of verse 24, he's referring again to Absalom and his followers. They are confounded. They are brought to shame who seek my hurt. They did suffer disgrace and shame in their defeat. So what can we learn from David in these two Psalms? His words express the feelings of many as they reach advanced age. This Psalm can be our prayer too. A request that our last years be blessed with dignity and grace, significant accomplishments. It's a prayer that God will free us from emptiness and boredom. It's a statement that life is not over when we are older. There is still more we can do that's significant, such as telling of God's grace and power to younger generations. And all those making disciples said, Amen. Amen. Going back to Psalm 70, verse 4, he says, Let all those rejoice who seek you and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. And so as we seek the Lord, our love for him will steadily increase. We will discover new attributes of his and new reasons to exclaim, Let God be magnified. And then let's look at Psalm 71, 5 and 14. He said, For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. And then verse 14, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. David continued to hope 
in the Lord. And our hope needs to be steadfast in God no matter what is going on around us. If people have turned against us, people have rejected us, even are pursuing our lives or our wealth or our future or our reputation, our hope is steadfast in the Lord. Verses 17 and 18, he says, You've taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. <clears throat> now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. So he's saying, God, you've been faithful in the past, and you'll be faithful now, and you'll be faithful always. It's kind of like uh, Hebrews 13 Eight, where he says Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever Jesus was faithful in the past he's faithful today he will always be faithful God has been faithful to us we can look back on our lives and say yes God has been faithful but we can look at our present lives too and say God is faithful and we can trust in his mercy and in his faithfulness to carry us through until he takes us home Lamentations 3, 24 and 25 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, who hope in him. And verse 7 of Psalm 39 says, And now, Lord, what do I hope for? My hope is in you. We don't, if we place our hope anywhere else except in the Lord and in his word, it becomes misplaced hope. And that's why when we, when we hope for a certain outcome or we hope for something tangible, we hope for something that we're praying for, but we don't yet have a word from God on it, then our hope is misplaced. We hope in his word, what he's promised, and we hope in who he is. Those are our safe places to hope for. So seeing David's hope and trust, his life of praise and prayer, his desperate pleas, seeing that he magnified God no matter what he went through, then we, how much more shall we on this side of the cross, who've been redeemed and forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more shall we declare, let God be magnified? So I want us to say that together. Let God be magnified. Let's say it again. Let God be magnified. Now I'm going to say a phrase and you're going to repeat with let God be magnified, okay? So Lord, in our homes, let God be magnified. In our families, let God be magnified. In our health, let God be magnified. In this church, let God be magnified. In all the churches in Waco, let God be magnified. In Waco itself, let God be magnified. In Texas, let God be magnified. In the United States, let God be magnified. In the persecuted church, let God be magnified. And in our lives, let God be magnified. Amen. Amen. So you might not be chased by wicked, cruel people. But you might feel the need for help today. You might need healing, or you'll need strongholds broken. You might need strongholds broken over your family. You might feel darkness, anxiety, or fear that are creeping in on you, even chasing you down. You might need peace. Help is available. 
and it's in Jesus. In his power, in his name, is power, healing, and life. And so we're going to end today with a song by Charity Gale and a worship team. This is a live worship set. And, and you might have heard the song, I Speak Jesus. I love this song. You're going to love this song. So just start singing along as soon as you would like to. The words will be on the screen as they sing. They're going to sing the name of Jesus over families, over cities. And we're going to do that too as we join in. Okay, Reuben. Thank you. 